Welcome back to the Church History Podcast. We are in season six. The church is on a mission. In this season, we're going to see how the church embraced the idea of leaving their homes, not because of persecution, but for the sole purpose of spreading the gospel. The missionary movement was started. And we can't talk about the history of the missionary movement without talking about the Hernut revival and the prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. Welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. I took the month of August off, not intentionally, but out of a sense of being overwhelmed. As a huge blessing from God, I have gained many more clients for my production company. I am excited and honored that so many people are asking me to help them with their podcasts. I also launched my first book in a series of books I'm writing. It's called The Church is Born, and it covers the first 300 years of the church. I use the same storytelling format that I use with this podcast. You can find a link for that book in the show notes. Next week, I'm going to let you know about a draw that I did with a winner based on people who bought my book in August and left a review. If you bought my book and want to quickly leave a review, I'll give you this week to get that in before I do the draw. So, to get started, what will this season be like? We're talking about the missionary movement and also covering historical stories from this time period that give us a greater picture of what it would have been like to be the church during this time period. Today's story is one that most people have never heard of, yet it is perhaps the most stunning story. It starts with a man named Nicholas Zinderdorf von Ludwig. Follow me into a large study room in an expensive boarding school and hall for the wealthy families of Germany. There's a 10-year-old boy sitting at a desk studying. He has the name you would expect for a boy of his high standings. His name is Nicholas Zinderdog von Ludwig. His teacher is August Hermann Franck. This young boy took his studies very seriously. If you can watch him, he's sitting alert, ready to learn. For five years, Nicholas studied and like a sponge, took in everything. At the age of 15, he left for law school. He attended the University of Wittenberg. Once again, his studies were essential to him. When he graduated, he took a job that year as legal counsel of the Saxon elector August the Strong. He also married Countess Edmund Dorothea von Rus, and they lived in a large estate in eastern Germany. Life had turned out exactly how you would have expected life to turn out for that little 10-year-old in the elite boarding school, a law career for the rich and powerful, married to a countess, living in a large estate. But God was working in his heart, and God wanted to do something so much more, something so big no one could have even imagined. After just six years, Nicholas Zinderdorf left his possession from the rich and powerful and decided to give his guidance to refugees coming from Moravia. Today we know this area as the Czech Republic. The number of refugees grew, and Nicholas began a church for them to worship together. They were known as the Hussite Unity of the Brethren. One of the problems that Nicholas Zinderdorf began to see was fighting among the brethren. He was very concerned about this disunity that he was seeing. Imagine you're entering the church building of the Hussite Unity of the Brethren. It is May the 12th, in the year 1727. 
there is a tension in the air, but people are trying their best to be polite. Families are seated together. Small children are being reminded to be on their best behavior. Nicholas Zinderdorf stands to speak. As he speaks, the tension seems to grow. He's speaking about quarreling, and people are trying to avoid eye contact with each other. People begin to shift uncomfortably in their seats. Some begin to cry. The Holy Spirit moves through the building, touching each one present. That service on May the 12th, 1727, the altar was full. As a church community came forward, forgiving past quarreling and repenting of their sins, they promised each other that going forward, they would live in joy, love, and simplicity. That time of repentance was the beginning of a century that would change the world in a dramatic way. One altar full of refugees, farmers, potters, masons, all crying in repentance. For the next three months, the atmosphere in the town changed overnight. People continued to repent, and they made reparations for past hurts. They reconciled with longtime enemies, and God began to work in their hearts. On August the 5th, just a few months later, the Holy Spirit moved again in the small church community. The elders of the church met to pray, and as they prayed, the Holy Spirit moved in such a way that they just could not leave the altar. They prayed for hours, crying and calling on God. They prayed until the sun came up the next morning. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, Pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Five days later, the church met for what was supposed to be a regular communion service. The church was full of people who had been full of the Holy Spirit for the last four months. The hearts were ready to hear what God had to say and the calling he had for them. The pastor, whose name was Pastor Roth, began to preach. But he was so overcome with the grace of the gospel that he fell to the ground in tears. He called on God to forgive them for their sins. The congregation began to cry. They sang, cried, and prayed for an hour, and then another hour. And though it seemed like minutes turned into many hours, the sun set. And through the night, they continued. As the sun rose, they were still singing praises and praying. While some went home, others stayed, and soon some returned as others had left. A day had passed, and the praying and singing had not ended. Two weeks later, 24 men and women stood to say that God had asked them to continue to pray and worship together in this church, to pray every hour. They would take turns, each taking an hour and praying for one hour, The prayer and singing would not end. This continued for the next 100 years. Yes, a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. Zinderdorf named the prayer meeting the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The refugee community had been known for bitterness and divisiveness. They became known as God's happy people. A few months later, they formed a missionary society. Until this point, the church had grown through persecution. People facing persecution had left their homes in search for freedom, and in doing so had spread the church. But this group had a radical idea, to leave the place of freedom with its comfort and community and go to a hostile place 
for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Farmers, potters, stonemasons sold their land and possessions and headed to Africa, India, Asia, England, the New World, and Australia. Most never returned. Most of them were killed for their faith. There was one group that felt themselves called to bring the gospel to slaves, and they realized the only way to reach the slaves was to sell themselves as slaves. In an example of what Jesus did for us, they left their homes and freedom and became slaves to live among the slaves, to feel their pain and to live their lives with them, all so that they could give them the good news that Jesus saves. A flame was started that spread through the church in every country. People learned about the brethren. John Wesley would talk about the group when he was preaching. He said, Oh, what a work hath God begun since its coming to England, such a one as shall never come to an end till heaven and earth pass away. William Carey said, See what the Moravians have done? Can we not follow this example and in obedience to our heavenly master go into all the world and preach the gospel? Throughout England and the Americans, missionary societies began to be formed, and the church was officially on a mission, starting the greatest time in church history. There are people who interpret the churches in Revelation as periods of history. Those who hold to this belief believe that this time in history can be seen by the Church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. This is why we study church history, so we can see these amazing examples and follow them. You just listened to Church History Podcast with your host, Laura Lee Siemens. For more podcasts, blogs, or videos, check out lauraleesiemens.com. You can support this podcast by purchasing a mug with church history quotes in it. Don't forget to order your copy of my book, and I'll see you next week.